I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello! This episode of 12 Pack Radio is made possible by Next Steva, the official communications partner of Brad. Steve, and the Pac-12, and the best business phone service is chosen by U.S. News and World Report. Nextiva helps companies all over the Pac-12 countries stay connected with customers and coworkers using one easy-to-use app. Get Nextiva for your business and get business phone service, video conferencing, team chat, call reporting, and more, all for a fraction of what you would pay for those services separately. Make great calls every Friggin' day. Visit nextiva.com slash 12pack to get started. Nextiva.com slash 12PAC to get started. Oh, South Kakalaka! Don't you dare be sour! Clap for your world-famous two-time champs and feel the power! It's a new day. Yes, it is. For 12-pack radio. Get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, the home of the beta-ranked college football statistical model, and your home for Pac-12 gambling advice. With William Hills, Max Meyer, we're a sharp college football podcast, and Rob continues to crank out national, national previews. You know, 12-Pack Radio, Rob, this this awesome locomotive that's just blaring twisted sister is coming to a screeching halt on our spring football questions preview but rob you are not even close to being done with all pac-12 football spring previews how are you sir i'm good i just did usc so if you're interested in uh you know what beta rank has to say about the trojans what really you know i i I think does add up for a really critical year for them you know i mean with uh with what helton uh you know is what they've invested in helton and reshaping that staff um, they don't have Oregon or Washington on the schedule, and it it really does kind of feel like anything less than, um, you know, winning the Pac-12 South and and probably winning the Pac-12 championship. It it might be the end. Heavy is the head that wears the crown, even though that yeah. the, that head has been in second place oftentimes in the Pac-12. Makes like four and a half million dollars or something like that. I saw somebody got a hold of USC's tax returns. I think that was, but when I saw that, it was just bonkers. I mean. And the fact that they they extended his con, I mean, like, or whatever the buyout was for him. And it's just like, you know, USC should never be in a position to have to consider a buyout with a middling college football coach because they paid him $4 million. Like, go yeah. out and buy Urban Meyer, like, you know, a long time ago. Um, I'm sure they, they tried that multiple times, but uh, the basic idea is still the same. Um, so what, one quick thing to mention, we are... Um, if you haven't taken a look at our spring series, we went through every single Pac-12 team going through our spring questions. This is not our full breakdown of each team. That will happen in the fall. We'll bring on guests and and really take a deep dive into each team's uh, roster. But with that said, we have the rosters for every team. 
and have taken a deep dive internally um, and are just kind of sorting through the biggest questions we have for most of these teams. Today, we're going to do the final two teams, which is Stanford and Oregon State. And for Pac-12 fans, the true Pac-12 fans that are listening to this, I hope you can appreciate that we put together the Stanford <laughs> questions with literally no content at all about Stanford football in 2021. It has just been a a wasteland of like general platitudes and like just general information. Whereas on the other hand, Angie Machado and like what they're doing at Beaver Blitz, awesome stuff <laughs> where they went position by position going through like depth charts, new and, you know, new entrance into uh, the, the Beaver football family transfers. It was awesome. So um, we kind of have both wings of that dev. We're going to start with Oregon state, Rob. But one thing I wanted to mention, and it was a, a Comment that we got on Twitter from one of our listeners. And by the way, if you if you have comments, questions, concerns, like let us know because it's always super helpful. This one comes from Brandon, and he was talking about Rob our uh, our podcast about Oregon, and when we were talking about the quarterbacks, and so we focused a lot on um, on Anthony Brown and on yep. the freshman quarterback that was coming in the five star kid. But we totally left out like Ashford or Butterfield at all. Right. Um, and, and they're both like top 15 quarterbacks of their class. So I guess I wanted a chance to address that on the podcast because I thought it was a really good comment. And, and looking back, I'm like, oh, yeah, we kind of just like kicked them to the, the curb, even though I'm sure most teams would be happy to have uh, talent like that in their quarterback, you know, core. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair, you know, to say that those, you know, those two guys and they had a decent spring game from what we saw. Everything I'm everything I'm hearing is brown. Yeah. So <laughs> that it's that it is going to be brown, um, you know, in the you know in the fall, um, and then those guys will be you know competing to be the backup, um, and then it does. I mean, it does really you know I it, I don't you you never know you know with the, with guys you know like if they're gonna you know reach. I don't know if it's fair to say like if if you're you know if somebody comes in as a five star guy out of high school you don't expect him to be bad. And I don't think, I, I certainly don't think that they're going to end up there, but I also like, I mean, they're, you know, you can certainly get it beat out by a four-star kid, you know, like, I mean, JT Daniels was a five-star guy. got beat out by a three-star kid in, in Slovis eventually. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I, I don't, I, I would be a little surprised though. Like if, if it were not Brown, that it would be one of those other guys, because like, I really do think like it's going to, it, it is going to be Brown and the only way it's not is if they really decide to go all in on trying to develop, you know, the the true freshman as a as a multi year starter. Yeah, and and again, great options to have. I think we'll yeah. see. Now, I know Ashford. I think is uh, is eyeing baseball also. So, or not even eyeing. I think he plays baseball for Oregon. So there's a possible path for him. I would be shocked if there isn't a transfer at some point, you know, yeah. from the, the Oregon quarterback room, uh, just because it's stock full of talent. There can only be one Highlander, uh, basically. So it'll be interesting to see if Brown holds onto that position through fall camp and then, you know, in the future. But appreciate the comment. If you have other questions about your teams, uh, let us know. Our friend QB11, who uh, is our, one of our friends on Twitter, um, has sent some shows with us. Commented on our Oregon show in uh, in the sense that um, he kind of liked the the pessimism and optimism bit that we went back and forth on like some of the flaws that that could happen so it wasn't like you know sunshine and lollipops for Oregon it was more if these things come into fruition then this team will be good if they don't then you know it might be an eight win nine win team in the Pac-12 which a lot of teams would take but uh, certainly not what I think Oregon fans want that program to be so anyway if you want to learn about Oregon take a listen to that last show and and our other shows but today Rob uh, let's start with Oregon State I think Jonathan Smith 
I didn't say he, I wouldn't say he lit the world on fire at Oregon State, but you could really tell that he took the reins of that program, gave it an identity, put some offense, you know, breathed life into the offense, um, and has started really turned the ship. At the same time, still haven't made a bowl. And, um, and you know, the talent that they're bringing in is interesting, but it's certainly not talent that's going to win the Pac 12 North. Um, what, what do you think the expectations are for him and, and the program coming into this year? Man, it's we were talking about this a little bit before the start, right? I mean, it, it feels it feels almost as if if he doesn't make a bowl this season, the pressure could really be on. And I, I've been and I say that, and it's you know, and I saw the uh, like CBS did their like one through sixty five uh, coaching ranking, um, you know, for the Power Five coaches, and, and Smith was pretty far down there towards the bottom, right? And I I kind of I kind of had to stop and think about it, but. One, I mean, you're, you're counting wins and losses and, you know, like by that standard, of course, like Smith hasn't accomplished much, but the, you know, the improvement that I think I've seen in the program is tremendous. It just feels like, it just feels all of a sudden though, that you're looking at it and you're like, oh man, I mean, if, if Jebby doesn't really turn it around, you know, and, and really produce this year. And then on top of that, you know, like the, well, the offense has improved and the defense has also really improved. Like the defense is still really bad. Yeah. <laughs> even with the, even as much as, cause they went from being one of the very worst defenses in all of college football to a merely very bad power five defense. Um, you know, there's that's, that's like, they still have another couple steps to, to make defensively, I think to get there. Um, and all of a sudden the offense, which has been the engine of the team, it just feels a little, it's the offense feels a little tenuous coming into this year, I would say. Um, both with the, you know, as we talked about, like with the, you know, the, the, the quarterback room, um, you know, and, and some of the, I mean, as you mentioned, I mean, they lost a lot out in the transfer portal. You know, you mentioned before, <laughs> before we started this, I mean, it, it just, it does feel like a little bit of an odd year, right? Like they're losing players like Hamilcar Rashid, who are, you know, real headline players on what otherwise was kind of a no name defense. Yeah. Uh, I think most of the losses they have now, Jordan Whitley, uh, you know, who I think committed to Michigan. I know as of the time where I was doing my research, it seemed like it was a pretty strong lock that that's where he was going to go. That is, I think, f- fairly devastating for Oregon yeah. State in terms of the the people that they're losing. One of, one of the things to keep in mind is a lot of the transfer losses that they have were more, you know, is more depth. But losing yeah. a big body on a defensive line, which has like already been a weakness for them, now they bring somebody in. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But I mean, that's a problem. But but also, it's the production that they lost from just straight up players like Jamar Jefferson and, like you mentioned, Hamilcar Rashid. Dang, I mean, like those are three. And I and Whitley didn't play last year because he had a heart tumor issue. And thank God, like he's I'm, I'm hoping well enough to play for Michigan. But man. <laughs> It's gonna be. It's, it could be tough sledding, and I think it starts at the quarterback. You know, I, looking back at Tristan Jebbia, I was, I thought he did better than I had anticipated. I thought he was gonna be one of the worst pack, uh, quarterbacks in the Pac-12. He was not. He wasn't great. Three you know, touchdowns, two interceptions, uh, but but his completion rate was actually not bad. About sixty-two percent. Uh, the, the production out of him was was pretty good, and I think that's what you needed when you had Jamar Jefferson and the expectations of, of the football program in the middle of COVID. But now he's really, like you mentioned, he's going to have to produce and carry an offense because as good as B.J. Baylor um, 
looked in spring camp and in general, I don't know if he has the talent of a Jamar Jefferson to be a guy that can carry that offense to um, to a bowl. Yeah, and we're—I mean, we are projecting, you know, at Sharp College Football, um, you know, with the beta rank projections, we are pro- projecting that you know the the Beavers are going to improve a little bit off where they were last year. We're projecting them at forty-two coming into this year. Um, you know, last year they finished at fifty-four overall. Bit of a—I mean, the Pac-12 data is a little weird because you have so little non-conference play at all, um, and then you also have so few games. But, you know, the offense only graded out at 32 overall last season. They really struggled to put up explosive drives, number 77 overall there. Um, and they were they were a lot better running the ball, 23 in effective rush, 58 in effective pass. You do feel like they are going to need to put together more of an effective passing game, which they, you know, they, they, they did find a way to put together, you know, two seasons ago. So, um, you know, Je- whether it's Jebbia or Nolan or, or, or uh, Gulbranson, you know, I, I think they certainly have, um, they have guys that like, you wouldn't necessarily talk about like, you know, on a lot of other programs in the Pac-12 may not be a starter. You put Jonathan Smith there, you know, helping to coach and guide them. And you you are talking about them, you know, maybe having more potential in this Oregon State offense than they might somewhere else. Yeah, I hear you. And if you look at Chance Nolan's stats, I mean, six touchdowns, two interceptions. But I watched those games, and he was awful. And he'll better yeah. be better than I'll ever be. You know, you know, all the all those. I mean, like obviously, to to get a Division One Power Five quarterback scholarship means that you are a good quarterback. Um, at the same time, when the level is raised all across the board, um, he just was not accurate. And and like it was kind of painful sometimes to watch that offense when he was there. But he's not going to be the guy. It's going to be Jebbia. Um, and to, to Jonathan Smith's credit, in addition to the coaching, which I totally agree with you on that, he's done a really good job going out and trying to pick off talent to fill holes here. And, um, he's done it again this year. If you take a look, I mentioned BJ Baylor, but he also went out and got Deshaun Fenwick, who is somebody that had, um, significant playing time at South Carolina as a running back. You got Trey Lowe out of Washington, who's been there for a second year. Um, and they've also recruited pretty well at the running back position. They have like two top 50 guys over the last couple of years. Uh, but the thing that was interesting is I always look at that wide receiving core to your point about them kind of putting together the passing game, Rob. And um, I always just scratch my head a little bit, you know, like Tyjon Lindsay and Champ Flemings and you know, Trevon Bradford. Uh, but they went out and they got to uh, Treshawn Harrison, who was the number four athlete um, in the country. Uh, they pulled him from uh, Florida State as a transfer. They also got Makina Tung, who was the number nine athlete in 2019. So, I mean, he, it, it seems like Smith has always gone out and tried to at least pick, like successfully pick off a couple pieces here and there to fill the holes. I guess the question is like, can Jebby actually throw to them and move the offense and take advantage um, of some players that we don't quite know. We haven't seen the production at a high level yet, um, but we certainly have seen the, you know, the, the interest in kind of the potential on paper. Yeah. I mean, and I still think that they'll be able to run the ball pretty well. I mean, I, I think we both like what Jim Mahalchuk has done, you know, a well, I mean, a guy that's been around the pack 12, it feels like forever. Was it Cal for a long time? as their offensive line coach was at Arizona for a long time as the offensive line coach. I mean, really did, I think a really good job in both places. And he's done a good job for the Beavers um, with that offensive line. So I think they have an, I think they really do have an opportunity, I think, to put together a good running game again. Um, if they are able to do that, that will take some of the pressure off uh, the quarterbacks. And, you know, Smith has done, I mean, 
you know, his, 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 you know, his playing days were with Dennis Erickson, right? And Erickson went out and absolutely rated transfers back. I mean, back in the day before, even before the portal, right? Pulling in, you know, uh, Chad Ochocinco and uh, who's the other great, you know, wide receiver that went on to the NFL. I mean, just a bevy of guys that would go on to play in the NFL, um, you know, that transferred into Oregon state from somewhere else to play for Erickson. You know, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know that they've had hit that level of talent, but they have certainly gone out and found, found themselves some interesting prospects that have a lot of upside um, and that could work. And really, you know, Jake Luton took a, took a step forward in his second season, you know, maybe Jebbia, you know, was able to do it too uh, in year two. And I, I think if you're an Oregon state fan, you should be able to hang your head on, you know, your hat on that. They're, you know, they're likely going to have a pretty decent running game. The offensive line should be pretty good. You know, and then it's just can the passing game develop a little bit more? And if that if that happens, I think you're talking about potentially a top thirty fringy top twenty five offense. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Particularly again from the depths. Now, I guess there's a half life on how many times we can say, <laughs> in particularly you know, considering what Smith took over after a while. You yeah. know, it's your program. But um, man, I would settle for a top twenty five, top thirty offense. They got that last year. It was a quirky year. Um, yeah. but I think that's great. The biggest question really is that I think on defense, um, in addition to the passing game, cause it, can they really get that up and going and, and get a little bit more out of their wide receiving core and uh, their quarterbacks? Because I do think they have a lot coming back on the offensive line in terms of cohesion and just a, a pretty good unit in general. Let's talk about the defense, but let's do it right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, we're back. We're talking bad defenses today. Rob, that, that that's probably the the connective tissue on this podcast. We're talking about Stanford and Oregon <laughs> State. Um, you know, we we mentioned the loss of their defensive tackle, uh, Jordan Whitley, who again did not play last year, so they didn't see the the production last year. But uh, they do bring in Keontae Shot, is it, I believe how you, his name. Um, Thirteen games in Minnesota, where he started at defensive tackle. He was the number two JUCO defensive tackle of twenty nineteen. They also got a guy named Evan Bennett that's been there for a little bit. Uh, he started two games last year. But uh, w- when I look at this defense, uh, the, the defensive line has been the problem. I mean, the secondary has been an issue too, but it's really been a lack of push on the defensive line. I think they had um, they, they averaged one sack a game last year, which is, which is pretty bad. And if you're going to rock a 3-4, man, like you're kind of relying on that defensive line to really hold their weight. Um, literally yeah. and figuratively, and they haven't, and that makes me worried when I'm looking at this defense this year. Yeah, I mean, you need you still. I mean, we talk about this with other three, four teams too, right? You're you're likely playing somebody in there in two gap, and I, you know, they certainly haven't. Ha- I mean, particularly with the transfer to Michigan, you know, that really hurts. I mean, they need somebody in there that can hold up the, you know, hold up, uh, you know, and you know, allow the linebackers to come a little more free. Um, and, and read a little bit more on their responsibilities. They really did strive. I mean, they were, I mean, again, weird year, but 
they regressed a little bit from where they were in 2019. They finished at 84 overall in beta rank on defense. Um, they struggled giving up big plays, tons of explosive drives um, that they gave up. They were 89 in effective rush, 80 in effective pass. And they just didn't, like, you wouldn't say that the year before that they were a very good defense. They were very bad defense, but they were opportunistic, right? And the, I mean, the offense could put up points. Um, and then the defense, you know, maybe felt a little better than they were because they'd come up with a big player too, right? Like Rashid would be in there, you know, doing something, getting in the QB's face. Um, they're going to have to figure out something. I mean, I, I think that it is going to be, you know, the kind of year where if they don't make significant improvement on the defensive side of the ball, you know, at least getting into the 60s, right? I mean, it's still a bad power five defense. I mean, I think you might have to, to go looking for some changes on the defensive staff. I'm I'm kind of bummed because Rashid didn't have uh, the year that people thought that he was going to this past year. And again, you know, with all the caveats of COVID year and stuff, but I think any, I think even Oregon state would uh, like the coaching staff would say that they didn't get the production out of here, which is interesting because their linebacking core is kind of fun, particularly on the inside, Omar Spates, uh, you know, and Avery Roberts are uh, players that really uh, took, I think the next step Roberts was the Nebraska transfer. He was first team all pac 12 last year. Um, and Omar Spates was pac 12 uh, honorable mention. And then on the edges, you had Rashid, you had um, Hughes Murray, and uh, and like a lot of those pieces return, right? It, Roberts returns, Spates returns, Murray returns, and then Addison Gums was that Ohio uh, Oklahoma transfer that was like a four star. They were really excited about him, and then he has just been racked by injuries since he's been at Oregon State. I think this is like the first year where he's actually going to be healthy. So on paper, Rob, like the linebacking core could be super fun, but if if the guys up front aren't doing their job, it really hampers what the linebacking core can do. So it kind of makes you tear your hair out when you're looking at the front seven because it's just a glaring weakness and I um I can't see the per- even even with a good linebacking core. And and by the way, they lose their their two starting corners and safety also, but like, let's pretend, let's pretend their, their secondary actually all returned. I even, even with the, the rosters that they have now, like, I just don't see this defense being good. And, um, I don't like, what are they going to have to do to just get better? <laughs> Cause they're going to have to, or else they're just going to be in this perpetual, you know, like almost 500, but not quite. And, or maybe they get it if they play two FCS teams in Arizona, like, and, and at some point, the team needs to be better than that. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're definitely, I mean, the, the pack 12 suddenly taking a, a step forward as well. Doesn't hurt. doesn't help. Right. The, that all of a sudden, you know, that they are, even as they've been improving a lot of the rest of the teams in the pack 12 have been as well. You know, that that's, I mean, it almost feels like they really have to beat Washington state, right. You know, this year they have to beat Washington state. They have to beat Stanford. Um, you know, you got to beat Arizona, you know, that kind of, <laughs> that kind of thing. Like you're not you, you, in your games that might be toss ups and Arizona certainly won't be a toss up, but in your games that might be close to toss ups. Like you got, you got to pull out the wins. Um, and that, that's really tough. I think, cause I don't, I don't expect this defense. I, I think that they have struggled in their run fit. I think that they struggled to generate, you know, a, a pass rush that's consistent. And I don't think their coverage has been great either. So they definitely have problems. I mean, that's, that's, and you know, maybe this is the year I do, I do want to give them credit because if you look at when Smith took over, you were talking about, you know, a defense that ranked, I think 128 out of 130 in college football. So, 
you know, getting to the eighties is no small feat. Um, but they, they, they can't stop there. And it, it did feel like a little bit that they stalled, uh, on continuing to make progress. Yeah. And, and that's like the, I think that's going to be the theme of Oregon state this year and next year. It's all right. You made that first step, but, um, and nobody's expecting Oregon state to go to the Rose bowl every year, but, um, how do they show that they're continuing to make progress and didn't just plateau? And when we take a look at the secondary, I mean, like I mentioned, they, they lose both their corners, Nashawn Wright and Isaiah Dunn. They do bring back their nickel. Um, and, and one thing to, to Smith's credit, they have done a, a fairly decent job recruiting. I mean, they brought in the number eight Juco cornerback of 2020. They went out to the transfer portal. They got Elijah Jones, who started eight games at Kansas. Now, you know, it is Kansas, but <laughs> he did right. start um, as a cornerback. So there's certainly power five experience there and a challenging conference for sure uh, when it comes to past defense. You know, Alton Julian was a high three star. They've been they've been doing okay on this front, but again, like you're replacing a decent portion of your secondary, and you probably aren't going to get the push up front um, unless you really scheme creatively to get those linebackers in the backfield. I just man, like this isn't the year where. <laughs> Like if I'm Smith, this isn't the year I wanted like a number of my secondary players gone because uh, it takes a little while, I think, to, to pick up how to play defense in a pass heavy league. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Although our quarterbacks I mean, I... suck. I mean, to be fair, like the Pac-12 quarterbacks, not the best <laughs> caliber this year, but but still the, the point, I think, still remains. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it does. It, it does feel like that there's, you know, that it. <laughs> At some level, you look at the Oregon State defense and you think, like, relatively speaking, compared to, like, where some of the offenses might be this season, like, they might not end up as bad, right? Because nobody looks like a true off offensive juggernaut coming into this season, right? Like, yeah. you're, you know, you're kind of hoping USC puts it together, Oregon, you know, puts it together with Moorhead, Moorhead and, and Brown. But, you know, none of the other offenses in the conference – I mean, maybe UCLA if they really stop turning the ball over. But I mean, let's not kid ourselves. You know, like you're not talking about a, a you know a great offensive conference in a lot of cases. So in a lot of cases, the defenses have improved uh, a bit. So I'm I don't know. I mean, I I just I, I still though I I I think the defense is going to be bad enough that it's going to really put pressure on the offense to to put up a lot of points. Yeah, I want to walk back that pass happy league for a second because the more I'm thinking about it, right? Who's throwing the ball in this league? It's Stanford, but they have a new quarterback. Uh, like you mentioned, USC, maybe UCLA, um, but most of the uh, Washington State will. But yeah, you know, Oregon's going to want to run the ball a decent amount. Um, you have Colorado, you have Utah. Um, I mean, UCLA, I, th I still think is going to run the ball fairly heavily. I mean, like. You know, certainly Arizona State isn't going to be slinging the ball around the field. So, so no, I'm going to walk that no, back a little bit. It's, you know, times have changed. So, uh, my apologies. I mean, like, oddly, oddly enough, like Jed Fish might throw the ball quite a bit. I mean, that's about it. <laughs> I wouldn't. I would not want to have his roster to throw the ball around. But. Yeah, I was going to say, it might be to the other team, but they'll they'll be throwing it around. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, anything else on on Oregon State? You know, I. I mean, I don't. I think it's kind of a kind of a funky year. I, think, I, I do want to say like, I want to say like at a real positive note, like I think the offensive line could be really good. And I think they're going to be able to run the football. Like I, I think Mahalchuk getting all these guys back. I think this offensive line could be really good. And I, like I said, like, I think they're going to be able to run the football really well. Yeah. The one thing would be depth. You know, are they going to be like, oh, if yeah. somebody gets hurt, are they going to be able to fill in? And, and that's like still Nathan Eldridge, who was like constantly hurt at both Arizona and Oregon state. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> the, the one thing though is you know one one must assume that if like i believe in mahalchek he has been excellent at multiple places that didn't recruit at a high level at the offensive line so if he's able to develop talent that are the starters one would assume that even the the people that he's been recruiting he's also developing them so you know i i would add a, a check mark in the favor of oregon state on that front but i totally uh, I'm with you. I think the offensive line will be will be pretty solid. And, you know, if one of these running backs hits, I think that they'll be able to at least move the ball. It'll be a lot on the defense and a lot on uh, the quarterback. Let's let's go to Stanford. Um, holy Moses, this recruiting class in 2021 was terrible, <laughs> like, like really bad. <laughs> and, and I get, you know, when when you when the bar is so high for so long. Um, it does make classes like this better. Like I think it was the ninth best class in, in the Pac-12. But you know, the the thing like I remember way back in the day, this is when uh, Harbaugh was there. Um, I wish that there was futures on Stanford because I looked at their recruiting class and I went, "Holy crap!" Like Andrew Luck. Like I didn't know Andrew Luck was Andrew Luck, yeah. but it was Andrew Luck and like seven other people <laughs> that were such at a high level. And then Shaw to be able to come into that program after Harbaugh leaves and keep that level going for like a number of years speaks very highly of what he's been able to do with that program to keep it going. At that, with all that said, though, the last couple of years the recruiting classes have really tapered off, and this one has been pretty pretty rough. But, but Rob, uh, the offense is fun. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because like, for a while, the, the, the thing that gave you uh, the most faith in Stanford was often the recruiting, right? Like you'd look down the roster and you'd be like, oh yeah, they've got all these, you know, four-star players on the offensive line, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, they'll be great. Um, and the defense too. Uh, and uh, the level of play has definitely slipped, especially on defense. But, you know, the, the offense has been sneaky fun. Uh, for Stanford, right? Like they, they finished out and like, I do want to say like, they have totally revamped this offense, right? I mean, and we hear people, you know, talk about this all the time, right? They're like, Oh, Stanford wants to run the football. I'm like, when was the last time you watched a Stanford game? Yeah. (laughs) Stanford wants to throw the ball around. And uh, Tavita Pritchard has produced some very, very good and interesting passing offenses um, you know, if you see what Stanford is often able to do using uh, tight ends and slot receivers, um, you know, on bend routes to really put linebackers and, and you know, safeties if, if teams are playing in cover two, um, you know, in, in uncomfortable positions. I mean, I think Stanford does a really good job scheming in the passing game and they've moved away from, you know, since Mike Blumgren went off to be the, the head coach at Rice. They've moved away away from the power running game now. A lot of that had to do with the fact that the offensive line kind of fell off in the you know in uh, their abilities, uh, particularly in blocking for the run. But they've been they've been good. I mean, they finished at number seven overall last season in effective pass, number seventeen overall uh, on offense. Um, you know, and and I mean their running was at at seventy three in effective rush. I mean, Pritchard's totally redone things. I mean. But now all of a sudden you're looking at it and it's like, oh, well, you know, they got to replace a guy that was kind of under the radar, a pretty good quarterback in Mills. Yeah, Davis Mills was pretty solid. I'm third round in the NFL. So clearly people saw what he could do. Um, and now it's it's kind of like who takes over because we were not impressed with Jack West. Now he was kind of thrown into the fire at some at some points, but it's not like he hadn't have time in the in the, you know, in the fire because he is a 2018 recruit. 
He was a top 10 pro style quarterback. Tanner McKee, who returns back from an LDS mission, was the number three pro style quarterback of 2018. I think that's super intriguing. Like, can Tanner McKee, after not playing football for two years, come back in and just take the keys of this offense? Because I wasn't super impressed with Jack West. Um, Ari Paytu is a three-star freshman quarterback, but... Man, I, I just can't. <laughs> like, I know times are changing at Stanford, but Rob, I still can't in a million years, you know, envision a uh, like a, a true freshman three star quarterback, you know, taking the reins. I just don't think Shaw has the stomach for that. I mean, I, the key was a guy that people were talking about coming into this season, too. Um, and then Mills ended up, you know, like really grabbing the job. But He's he's somebody that was generating some rumblings. I I wouldn't be surprised to see McKee uh, at all if he ended up being the starter um, there. And I, as we talked about, like it, it, they're they're a fun passing offense. It's definitely so. It's definitely a place where you 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 know being the quarterback is not a bad job to have um, because they are they are going to put the you know put the game on you. Yeah, I mean I I I mean. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you'd be right to say West is, you know, given David Shaw's extremely, I mean, we say extremely conservative proclivities. He's like, it, David Shaw is certainly, they've certainly opened up the offense. He still manages a game like it, like he's on like a constant pucker. Like he is just, he manages a game, like just chokes the life out of it. He's like, he's like the, the opposite of an accountant that I want to have at the end of my life. I'm like, just let me spend yeah. my money. Like, you yeah. know, I'm 90. <laughs> no, no, no you, sorry. You can't, you can't buy that boat. Like you, ne- you never know what could happen. <laughs> um, so I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if West doesn't get the nod, you know, but like I, I would expect McKee to be right on his heels. Um, and McKee's a I mean that if he doesn't if he doesn't win the job this year, I mean he's a guy that I would expect to see probably on a grad transfer uh, out, you know, um, to play nearly immediately. He's he's uh, I think people have, have spoken about his play in practice. He's still got a ton of talent. Um, he's got to learn, you know, like and and hopefully you know the you know this full off season. Stanford just finished their spring game, um, the last spring game in the country. <laughs> <laughs> so spring spring practice is officially over for everyone now because Stanford had their spring game. Um, yeah, like I, I, I think having the full off season will help him having come back. Uh, he came back last season from his LDS mission. So yeah, I mean, I, I would keep an eye out for, for him. And I mean, it's interesting because we, t- you know, normally you talk about Stanford and you feel like you have to list out like who's going to be the running back, but you know, like it is, they, they are going to have, you know, some folks to replace, you know, uh, in the passing game, uh, you know, a wide receiver. Yeah. Um, who, who is the Simi Fahoko? I think he ran yeah. like a four, five 40 or a four, four 40 or something stupid for as big as he was. And you're like, Oh yeah, that guy was awesome. I loved watching him. He was really good. Um, so he's gone. But the one thing that has happened in the last couple of years, not this last year in recruiting, but the previous years, 2019, 2020, is David Shaw went out and tried to get some good wide receivers. Um, and he yep. did. Michael Wilson, Elijah Higgins, John Humphreys are all like, you know, they were all four-star guys that came in. Bryson Termain has started to make some noise. The interesting thing is, you know, Scooter Harrington was basically person non grata at, at Stanford last year, and Tucker Fisk only had five receptions. Those are the two tight ends. And, um, and they, they yeah. went to the wide receivers and it's kind of fun to see that. So I think there's going to be talent for them to be able to, to capitalize in if they could actually get the ball to those wide receivers. I don't know. What, what do you think about the, the, the receiving core that they have? I mean, I, you know, if you'd asked me two years ago, I, I would have said, eh, 
I haven't heard of any of these guys and they're going to run the football. Who cares? Right. Like, yeah. And that's not the case. Like I, I, I think Stanford, you know, these guys, um, I, I think that they also do a very good job teaching guys to run routes on the farm. Um, I think these guys are going to be good. Like that, I, I think, I think they'll have a, I think they'll have some talented options. They've got some real size yeah, too, yeah. um, to work with. And Stanford has, has certainly shown, um, you know, over the years that like, they know how to scheme when they have, you know, big wide receivers, right? Like they, they know how to scheme to put those guys in a position to go up and get the football. Absolutely. I, that was exactly what I was going to say. Six, four, six, two, six, three, six, five are the, the starting guys that, that we have on the roster right now. Um, and all of them came in with, uh, with a lot of acclaim. So be really fun to, to see that moving over to the running game too, Rob. I mean, one of the things that we mentioned last year was like, there's going to be some transfers out of this running back core because yeah. uh, I mean, they went out because they don't hand it off anymore. Well, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, they handed off and, and they signed a bunch of dudes. Oh my gosh. The number five. Okay. So, so Austin Jones is the number five running back of 2019. Nathaniel Pete was the number nine all purpose back of 2019. EJ Smith was the number three all purpose back of 2020. And Casey Filkins was the number 13 all purpose back. Um, and then you have Justice Woods who touched the ball uh, a couple times last year, a uh, three star kid that came in, but there is a lot of, on paper talent here. The one thing to mention though, was Austin Jones averaged four and a half yards a carry, which was fine. Um, and nine touchdowns. So he did get in the end zone a lot, but you know, for, for being the guy and the featured back. And I get it. There's like four games that they played. Um, and, and some of their practices were like, you know, in my backyard, basically <laughs> you know, like there's yeah. any public space that they could find with a lot of greenery. Um, but still four and a half yards of carry, not, not blowing the doors off. Whereas Nathaniel Pete had seven yards of carry, but some of that was, you know, a, a 73 yard touchdown, but still, I don't know. All, all that to say is like on paper, this, this core looks really good. I'm curious to see what the production is given the change in scheme. And, uh, and given the fact that they have this talent, I don't know. That's, that's one of the questions I have going into spring. Well, well, Jones was actually the second leading receiver on the team by receptions. Yeah. Like, yeah. and that's like, I mean, that's where, you know, cause if you look at where they're the offense, their offense has been going and then you look at the roster, it's like, well, can you, can you pass block? Are you a willing, are you don't have to be great. You just have to be willing to stick your nose in there. And then two, can you catch the ball with a helmet on? <laughs> so, I mean, not all running backs can. So, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, these guys, like if they can, you know, like the, the, the questions for them to answer are going to be often less about the running game. And are they able, going to be able to be weapons in the passing game? Because you even look at, you know, the numbers Jones put up last year receiving the ball, you know, he put up more receptions than Cam Scarlett did in, a, in an entire regular season in 2019. Yeah. I mean, I think they are going to look to, I mean, they're, I, I mean, they're not, they're not dumb offensively. Like I said, like I, I really do. I think people should pay more attention to what Tavita Pritchard has done offensively with Stanford. I think it's an interesting, fun offense to watch. Um, I expect them to evolve a bit and start to get the backs more involved especially because Jones really showed last season that he could catch some passes. Yeah. No, I'm glad you brought that up. 21 receptions last year, 156 yards. So absolutely trying to get him into the the game. Let's talk about the offensive line. Um, and, you know, I shouldn't have opened by just trashing the 2021 recruiting class because Shaw did do a decent job in some areas um, in, ni- in 19 and 20. And one of the areas is the offensive line. So, uh you know, they have the number two center, Bryson Bragg, who's probably going to play guard now. Um, the number four offensive tackle, 
Um, and Miles Hinton will probably be the right tackle. Walter Rouse comes in. Uh, Barrett Miller. Like there, there are there are players on this roster that could, as always, Rob. I think this is the this is a constant theme in the last three years of Stanford football. Um, they could be good, but in the last couple of years, the coaching hasn't really caught up to the offensive line production. Yeah, I mean, and they, you know, Pro Football Focus had them graded out at 54 overall on the offensive line play last season. And Drew Dahlman, their center, was the guy that they really highlighted. He's gone. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I mean, you go through, you still like the, you know, you like the talent, of course, that they have. Um, but the co- it does feel like the coaching really hasn't been there since Blomgren left. I, I just, I, I'm, I'm. I think they'll be fine. I mean, most of like offensive line, I'm not saying it's unimportant. It is in particular, if you're going to throw the football around, it depends more that your quarterback doesn't hold on to the ball. than if your offensive line is great, like you can get away. I mean, like people at that LSU offensive line got nominated for, uh, what's the, it's like the Joe something award for the, the best offensive line in the country. And that was nonsense. Like that, that LSU offensive line wasn't great. You know, uh, you know, the, the QB just processed, you know, Joe Burrow just processed his reads really fast and got the ball out. And that allowed LSU, despite not having a great offensive line to play zero protection most <laughs> yeah. of the year. Right. Like that's like, a, like that was Joe Burrow's superpower, if you will. You know, so these guys don't have to be phenomenal. I mean, they have some decent options at QB, um, you know, but that said, like you'd still, you know, given all the talent, given all the talent that they've recruited, it's still. I mean, they and USC, it still feel like really just underperform their talent, particularly at the offensive line position. Yeah, it'll be something to keep our eye out for um, in the coming season. But again, like if West or McKee can get the ball out, then it might not matter as much this time because uh, Stanford's yeah. had some issues run blocking, but. If they're throwing the ball a little bit more, you know, if, if they can kind of get hit those <laughs> checkdowns and the slants and like the quick stuff, at least they can move things forward and keep offenses or defenses honest and stuff. So I'm curious to see what they do there. Let's get to the defense and it's going to be fun. And let's do it right after this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're back. We saved the best for last, Rob. Um, the, the Stanford defense is a mess and it's been a mess for a while. And I think it's going to be a mess this year. Uh, tell us a little bit about what what Stanford fans have been watching the last couple of years? I mean, it's impo- I mean, so like you know, Lance Lance Anderson had a top ten defense. I mean, this goes back to when like I mean, like twenty fourteen, um, and they had the great defensive line coach who then retired, and it's just been it's not steady decline because there there's definitely some years they've had some slight bounce backs, but you know, in in twenty fifteen they were at thirty. You know, 39 overall in beta rank. They bounced back a little bit in 2016 to, to 30. 2017, they're at 54. They bounce back a little bit, get to 39 in 2018. In 2019, they drop all the way to 81. That is an awful power five defense. And then last year, they finished at 85. And it's not, it's been consistent. It has been on in both. The, the you know the uh, you know the run you know defending the run and defending the pass, um, you know and you feel like a lot of it starts with the defensive line play not being able to get pressure on quarterbacks. I really like Dwayne Aquina. 
you know, their, their cornerbacks, you know, coach and it coaches a lot of that secondary. I just, man, it's just, it's hard to watch as bad as they have been. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and Lance Anderson, I just, I, I am in awe that he still has a job because they're, they've, they're now producing an offense that, you know, like, I honestly feel like Pritchard is kind of starting to hit some of his stride as a play caller. I could see Stanford knocking on the door of the top 10 offensively. If they get a, you know, if um, either West or McKee figure it out at QB, that's, I mean, to have a defense this bad with the resources that Stanford has to be able to throw at football, um, you know, and, and the recruiting that they've been able to do, it's just really frustrating. I think to, to, to see, because it's not a question like where you talk about Oregon State where you're like, oh, man, like, who are we going to patch in here? <laughs> we just don't have the players, you know, like Stanford has the players, right? I mean, to be this bad with the players that they have is pretty embarrassing. Well, I think so. I partially agree with you where Stanford has had the players. I think yeah. the biggest slide in recruiting and this goes back to 2019, has been on the defensive side. I think Shaw has continued to do a good job on the offensive front, um, offensive line, normally they're bringing in good players. It's actually the defense where I'm, I'm kind of like looking around up and down the roster, and yeah, he'll get a, a four-star now and then, but overall, given the brand of Stanford and given the quality of players that they brought in before, um, it's just kind of been more head-scratching that they don't get better players given, you know, better players on paper, given what they've been able to do in the past. And maybe it is a reflection of like the defensive uh, line coach leaving and of the defensive coordinator they have now and an unwillingness to change that. But I mean, like if you take a look at the players they have now, you know, uh, I think it's Dallin Wade Perry is their big defensive tackle and Tobin Phillips, like they're fine, but they're not like, you know, they're not lighting the world on fire. Um, Thomas Booker at defensive. The one thing to keep in mind is they're, they're, they're front three, just big dude. So you're listed as a defensive end, but it's kind of like a glorified defensive <laughs> defensive end. They're more more on the defensive tackle. You know, they're not 350 pounds, but they're like you know 290 pounds. Um, but yeah. like those guys don't really strike a lot of fear into me. The one guy is uh, Joshua Picola, who was who was a, a pretty highly rated guy that comes in, um, and and he was able to see the field. I think in 20. I have to go back and look, but I, which kind of makes my point is like none of these guys stood out for me on the defensive line. And that is just kind of stunning. Uh, I mean, not stunning that like this has happened the last couple of years, but stunning if you were to look at where the program is now on the front seven compared to what it was. Yeah. And they've, I mean, Stanford has had certainly had some transfers out of the program. You know, last year they lost a lot of guys transferring out, you know, it felt like in particular on the defensive side of the ball, um, and I just, I, I really struggle. I, I struggle to see this defense suddenly turning it around, I guess you could say, right? Like, you know, they're, they're, they, that would, that would go again, very much against the overall trend for them, which is pretty overwhelmingly downward. I mean, I, I guess I, like, it is hard for me to see them getting worse than 85. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's true. <laughs> like, but I honestly, like, you can't rule it out. They've just continued to get so bad. <laughs> and, I mean, I think I think some of this too is you really also have to question is is as offenses as offenses have evolved and changed, you know, it doesn't appear that Stanford has evolved and changed much in their defensive philosophy, scheme, and play calling. Um, and so some of this is just the pure position coaching. Um, but I'm just I'm not sure that they're really able to keep up with some of what 
you know, the modern spread offenses are really doing these days. And, um, you know, like the days of, you know, the days of trying to slow down the Oregon blur are long gone. I mean, offenses slow it down more and put up more points than they used to. Um, you know, I Stanford just hasn't really been able to keep up with the kinds of, uh, of changes and how, you know, in the multiple ways, I think offenses are really looking to attack you now. Um, and, and, and to, you know, take a, you know, take a read off of what you're doing, you know, pre-snap and then make changes. It just, I mean, for Stanford to have fallen as far and as hard as they have, it just feels like, yeah, there's definitely some coaching, you know, there's definitely some technique, but I'm just not sure that they're, they're actually keeping up with where college football is going. So I know this sounds blasphemous because when Stanford hired uh, Dwayne Aquina, I was super excited. Um, but the secondary has been bad for multiple yeah, years. They have. And that's shocking to me. Uh, because like if, for people that don't know, like Dwayne Aquino was the secondary's coach at Texas when Texas was awesome and, and like really very, very highly, like all throughout college football, like really, really a good. a ton of guys to the NFL. He yeah. was the mind behind, the defensive mind behind Desert Swarm at Arizona. Um, yeah, I mean, sent, I mean, sent a ton of guys as first and second round picks to the NFL from Texas. Um, and has done well at Stanford and it just has fallen off the map. Like, I, I can see Stanford still like I could see Stanford making it to an okay bowl because of their offense, but I don't see it because the defense stepped up and like carried the team forward. And like, I just think there needs to be a change at the defensive coordinator spot. We've been talking about this for what, two years now? Like, we're just like, oh my gosh. Um, we don't project, I mean, we project them at, I mean, at Beta Rank and Sherp Culture Ball has them projected at 50 coming into this year, which is basically taking into account the defense. And, and they're not returning, I mean, compared to a lot of other teams. I mean, most teams in college football are returning a ton this year. Yeah. Stanford's returning roughly half their production on offense and roughly half their production on defense, but that kind of puts them down, you know, compared to where a lot of other teams are, um, you know, and, and what they're bringing back. So I, you know, and they, I mean, they, they also, I mean, they're bringing back, I'm sorry, they're bringing back a little more. They're bringing back about 65% of their, you know, production on defense, but they're only bringing in back 45% of their production on offense. I mean, if they have any kind of slip up on offense, this team could be in real trouble with a pac 12. That is a, you know, a lot of teams are a little, I mean, everybody except for Arizona looks to be getting a little bit better. Yeah. I know. We'll see. I think this is one of the more fascinating teams this year to see what direction they had um, and whether or not their quarterback, because here, here is the worst case scenario. You have a bad defense and your quarterback can't put it together. <laughs> And now, oh no! If, if if Stanford doesn't have a signal caller, like they are in trouble. Oh my gosh! But I mean, like, how many times have we said, "Oh, the, the, this is the year the wheels fall off the Stanford wagon"? And and like <laughs> they have a couple times. I think what, what was that one year where they got waxed in like in in uh, Orlando? You know, when they played yeah. South Florida, that that year was was kind UCF, of UCF. Yeah, and they went right. I mean, I think Adivo might have been injured, but they went right at him, and he had a horrible game. Yeah, yeah. So that that was a bad year. So the wheel, like, there have been some really there's been a couple bad years, but like it's, it's oftentimes followed by a six and six, seven and five, you know, things might be going in the right direction, but like institutionally, I think they need to make a change at the defensive coordinator spot. But, um, but we will see like, so it, it's funny. Cause you mentioned 50 for beta rank. 
like that's the worst that's the worst case scenario if you're a Stanford fan that wants a new coordinator because you know Anderson could say look we're improving but like you know 50 actually isn't very good and yeah so you'd almost r- really root for 80 and hope that Shaw finally sees the light but who knows you know it's each each I mean, what, is, what does Lance Anderson have to do to get fired I mean like David Shaw has stood by his man for a long time I mean and they have needed to make a change it's been obvious to everybody and he's they, they absolutely haven't made a change. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like if if Lance Anderson doesn't produce like a top 40 defense next season, um, then you really got to be talking about like him being removed. But if if Shaw like keeps him there, like he's never leaving. Like it's yeah, it is bizarre. Um, well, let's end it there. This is our final spring question uh, podcast series. So now what? So we have a ton of stuff that we have piled up now. We have full rosters for everybody. Um, we can go depth charts. We can uh, we can go through some of the best players in the Pac-12 to keep a lookout for. That's something that I've wanted to do. Um, just as like, even if you're following us for your team and also just a little bit of uh, an update on the conference, I think knowing some of the players to just keep your eye on could be super fun this coming year um, for you know teams outside of your team. Um, we have guests. We There's just a lot of stuff we'll be able to continue to do throughout the offseason as we get closer to the season. Um, we'll start doing our deep dives into these teams and really asking some questions of our friends in the podcast world. Um, congratulations, by the way, to our friends at the Reign of Troy podcast for getting married or engaged. Engaged. I don't, I don't want to jinx it. <laughs> Good. <laughs> <laughs> On the podcast. So congratulations, Michael and Alicia. Um, that, was, that was pretty cool to see uh, and, and hear. And, um, anything else, Rob, like, you know, we're, we're still cranking through the videos. Um, we, we are doing a little bit more written content. I wrote a piece about Iowa and, um, and how like Brian Ferentz is the offensive course. Talk about bad, bad hires, uh, uh Brian oh, Ferentz yeah. is the offensive coordinator there. But, um, there's a lot, a lot of stuff like, I mean, I thought the fact that beta rank had Iowa state at number four was super interesting because, Hey, man, that team returns every everybody, and it was like the advanced metrics loved them last year, and we saw them yeah. take care of business with Oregon. So I thought that was super interesting. There's a lot of stuff going on. What anything you want to highlight? Yeah, I mean it's a, it's an interesting. I mean, I, I I think and I get some pushback. I mean, the advanced. I'm not the only advanced model that has Oklahoma rated highly as well. Um, I've got them number one. Uh, you know, and it just comes down. I mean, I, I think this year. I, I, I mean, I hesitate to call it sort of wide open. We are still talking about the usual suspects in a lot of ways. Um, but it's a year where Alabama is, you know, replacing a, an awful lot. Um, it's a year where Clemson is also, I mean, they still keep the coaching staff. I mean, I swear, like, I don't know what Dabo does. He doesn't lose coordinators, but <laughs> Clemson has the same coordinators coming back again, right? But they're also replacing, I mean, they have an incredibly talented bunch of players ready to step in, but they're also replacing a lot. And you have Lincoln, I mean, this year should be a lot of fun. You have Lincoln Riley with a returning quarterback for the, it feels like the first time in forever uh, and improving defense with Alex Grinch. And then Iowa State sitting there as a potential spoiler, you know, a team that, you know, like even if you were going to say, you know, that there's some variance around where they were last year because 2020 was somewhere data. You'd still say it was a top 10 team and brings nearly everyone back and the coaching staff intact. You know, like the only thing that you, the only thing that holds people back, I think for being more on the Iowa state bandwagon is that they don't recruit terribly well. Um, 
but they've certainly shown that they know how to develop players. So that's, I mean, it, it is one of those ones where you can talk yourself. I can talk myself into Iowa state. Like, I don't think they have much more ceiling above where they are, yeah. but yeah. like they, they are certainly a very talented team that if you, you know, I think if you looked across most of college football, if you played the Cyclones and turned the ball over twice, you could easily lose, even if you're Alabama. Um, I think they could be that good coming into this next year. But I mean, it's tough too, because like you look across like the Big Ten and like, yeah, Ohio State loses a lot, but man, is there anybody even in spitting distance of them right now after the years that they had last year at Penn State, Michigan? That <laughs> <laughs> uh, seems like the easy Wisconsin, bet. like, like um, so yeah, I mean, it does. I mean, it's not. I mean, it's a, it. It we're still we're still living in a world of like where it feels like Clemson and Ohio State and Alabama are a little bit of a foregone conclusion. But I don't know. Like, keep an eye out for. I mean, GT Daniels in Georgia could be interesting if they get um, going offensively, and we get to see that 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 game against Clemson in Week One should be fun. Ooh. I'm excited for actual interesting games in the first couple of weeks. Oh, rather than, you know, like uh, BYU is going to play Navy and, and Navy hasn't practiced in seven weeks. Um, so that'll be fun. The, the other thing to mention on Sharp College Football. So um, the YouTube series is really good. Uh, the website obviously is where you can find all of Rob's numbers, sharpcollegefootball.com. But you're going through all of like those kind of sneaky, interesting teams. Like you, you just did Old Miss with yeah. Lane Kiffin. And I thought that was fun. Um, just kind of going through the, the the good offense, bad defense scenarios. I think um, like Penn State and anyway, like it's a, it's an interesting like USC is perfect, right? It falls right into that area of you know they they could they could have a a, a really good year or they could be USC. <laughs> like, so yeah. I, I just thought that like the, that slate of teams that you're going through right now, I think is really fascinating. So um, definitely worth checking out. Let's uh let's end that here. Um, Thanks everybody for listening. Tune in next week. I also want to do a member berries episode, Rob, of just like the bonker stuff that happened um, in in the Pac-12, like and and not like the Sol Ver- Verbal did a look back into 2019 or 2020, and it and it was like interesting. But I kind of want to do more of like a specific Pac-12, like here, you know, players that were really good, like freaking Colorado signed with a a gambling company. <laughs> like what the, what the hell? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's some. There's some. I mean, we still have to. We next episode, we still have to cover that the Pac-12 hired the head of events at MGM. I'm so excited about that. To be the new. To be the new uh, commissioner. Gosh, I'm I'm a fan. Um, Yeah, me too. The big Roomba in the middle of the desert uh, is where the Pac-12 is going to be playing its championships. Uh, So that'll be pretty fun. Okay. All right. Let's end it here. Thanks everybody for tuning in and we will catch everybody next week.